Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please go and leave a rating or review at Apple Podcasts. It would greatly help us get more listeners to this show. Well, we have a really good one for you today. Pam Arlen joins us. Pam loves Mickey Mouse, Star Trek, and Jesus, but not in that order. Pam is on the international leadership team at All Nations, a missions organization that ignites church planting movements among the neglected people of the earth. This is a great conversation around missions to the least reached people of the earth and utilizing a prophetic voice while training and teaching And we even take a little time to do some listening prayer in the middle of this conversation. It's the first time I've done that in a podcast interview. So uh, it's interesting. It's good. And it works out. It's fun. So enjoy it. Let's get to Pam. Here she is. Pam, thanks for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to be here, Joshua. So when I uh, when I think of you, one of the things that I do think of is I think about frontier people groups, frontier mission to go to people in places where the gospel isn't, where Jesus is not yet known. And you did that uh, yourself personally, and now you do a lot of mobilization and inspiring others to be able to go to frontier people groups. Where did your journey with Jesus um, and really the the least reached people of the earth? Where did that start for you? And how did you get into that? You know, my journey to the least reached people on earth really began when I was an undergrad, which now, you know, is getting to be a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. And I was in an university group and I went to Urbana and I found out that there were like one third of the earth had never yet had a chance to hear about Jesus. Mm. And by that time, I was already pretty madly in love with Jesus and thought that he was pretty amazing. And I thought that that was horrible, that there were people who had no opportunity to be able to say yes or no to him. You know, I get it. If people say no to Jesus, I mean, I Mm. don't think that's the best decision or the right decision, but it's their decision to make. But the fact that one third of the earth didn't even have the chance to make that decision to me just seemed like one of the greatest injustices on earth today that I had, you know, like 10 Bibles on my shelf. I had 500 (laughs) Christian books. I had 10 different churches I could go to. I had Christian radio. I had so much access to the gospel and so did everybody around me. uh, And yet there were people had none. 
And so I just sensed the invitation of the Lord to uh, change that and to begin to affect that uh, injustice on earth. And so after that Urbana and that inspiration, what, what was next for you in your journey? Oh, you know, what was next is to try to figure out which of those frontier peoples to go to. There are so many of them. Yeah. And um, none of them are in easy places on earth. All of them are in places where the church is highly persecuted, uh, where they're high in the mountains, in the middle of a desert, uh, in super hot places, super cold places. And so I began a discernment process in which I invited my pastor at the time into that mm -hmm. process and my um, adult Sunday school teacher, who's still one of my best friends to this day. And we began to pray together. And they said to me, you know, you're already pretty interested um, in Asia. So let's start to just keep going further and further. And then um, I began to reach out to missions agencies. And there was a missions agency that had done a short-term trip out to this area that I eventually moved to. And they made a video. And in that video, they talked about the need and how they essentially didn't have any idea how it could be done. I mean, in <laughs> retrospect, it's like a really lame <laughs> mobilization technique, but, uh, but it's an honest one. And actually, it's one that I stand by very strongly today to mm. tell people as we're going to help you to get to a, a pioneering frontier people group. We're just going to tell you we, we know a lot of principles, but yeah. literally nobody's ever done what you're about to do. And so yep. we don't know all the steps to make it happen. Wow. And so you were willing to go and to do something that you didn't really know how it was going to get done. Um, really, God really has to instill something special in, in somebody to be able to go out and do that. Um, where do you think that Jesus gave you? Um, what were the things in your life that he gave you to be able to, to pack up and move uh, across the world and be able to go to a really difficult place? Yeah, well, I think Jesus gave me a few things. Um, all of them are supernatural in their own way, but some may seem less obviously supernatural. For one thing, he gave me a community of people, um, yeah. a community of people who thought that what I was going to do was worth it, that it was a worthy goal, that it was something that even ought to be done. And a lot of believers are not in a community like that. Um, right. Even when the Lord speaks to them, their community is like, no, you know, don't do anything dangerous. Well, so the first really supernatural thing the Lord gave mm. me was a community of people that believed that Jesus was worth it, that mm. they liked me, but they were willing to, to let me go to a dangerous <laughs> place uh, because the Lord yeah. had asked me to do that. Um, and then the Lord had given me a few different, um, honestly, just very supernatural encounters with him. Mm. And I, I would say two of them have been life-changing moments. One of them uh, was about burning for Jesus in, in a good way. Uh, there's this old, old book now, and it's called The Delight of Being His Daughter by Dottie Schmidt. <laughs> and when I was in college, I was really attracted to this book, and I even saw this lady speak. <clears throat> and she's got a chapter in there called Clinker or Cult. And the analogy is that coal can burn when it's by itself, but a clinker can only burn if it's with other coals. <clears throat> mm. And so the idea was that we would want to be coals rather than clinkers that, yeah. you know, uh, yes, being in community is significant. It's important. But if we don't have community, would we still burn for the Lord? Mm. 
and I felt the Lord asking me this question, um, you know, do you want to be a clinker or a coal? And I said, I want to be coal. Um, and then the Lord asked me, he said, I died for you. Would you die for me? Wow. And um, I told him, yes, that, of course, I didn't really have the slightest idea what I was saying. But yes, <laughs> my heart was there. Right? My heart was there. And um, and then I turned off the light because I was already in bed and I went to sleep. Hmm. And when I woke up the next morning, I know this sounds crazy and it sounds so crazy. I didn't tell anybody about it for about six weeks at the time, but I had a wound on my right hand. Wow. Um, and I couldn't figure out, you know, like I was already in bed. How could that have happened? And then I found out that actually in Roman Catholic traditions, that's, that's kind of a normal thing to have happen to people that when you mm. have a significant encounter with the Lord, that the Lord will sometimes make a mark in your own physical body wow. about a significant encounter that you had with him. And so that um, created a, a, next level kind of covenant relationship that the yeah. Lord would be for me and I would be for him. And then mm. the other thing that he did for me was he established uh, my identity and why I had been created. And I had this really supernatural encounter with the Lord in which he said, I made you to serve the nations. And as you serve the nations, so you will find your own joy and happiness. Mm. And so there have been many, many a day when I was like, this missions thing is too hard. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. And then I just go back to that life calling where the Lord said, no, he will bring me joy and happiness mm. in the midst of serving the nations. And so he just established who am I? Who was I created to be? And I can go back to those bedrock moments in my life. Wow. Have you, as you're walking with people now on their journey of missions and life with Jesus, have you helped people establish what is their their purpose and calling uh, with God? And what are some of the ways that we can start to help others decipher that? And um, what does it look like? Yeah, helping people to establish their purpose and calling in God is, um, is an immense privilege. Mm. That makes me tear up. Um, <clears throat> because as you sit, and you have conversations with people and Holy Spirit's guiding those conversations. Um, sometimes I'll just suddenly have some insight into something. Uh, the Lord will highlight a scripture. He'll give me a word of knowledge or he'll even just help me to see uh, a good question to ask. And I'm having a vertical conversation with the Lord at the same time. I'm having a horizontal conversation yeah. with the person. Um, and, you know, a couple you're questions that I like to ask. Um, I mean, I'm, I don't consider myself really that good of a question asker compared to other people that mm. I've met. Yeah. Uh, but I just like to ask people, you know, what's Jesus been teaching you? Mm. What's he saying to yeah. you? Um, what's he showing you? And usually from there, uh, we can begin to move out into the, what's funny is when you ask them one question like that, and they yeah. tell you what Jesus said to them earlier that day, and they start to expand yep. and they start to expand on life callings. And then as you begin to talk about these life callings together, um, you begin to mm. discern where the Lord's been speaking. And it's a fun, I call it a discovery process. Yeah. It's a discovery process for them and me. Um, and I enjoy the discovery process. Have you learned how to have a better vertical and horizontal conversation at the same time? 
I think it's kind of difficult for some people to be able to do that, to listen to the Lord while you're having a conversation with somebody in front of you. Are there any any ways that you have found that have made that process easier for you? Yeah, I have found some ways that make it easier to have the vertical and horizontal discussion at the same time. The first one is that I start the discussion before we start the discussion. Um, <laughs> I start talking to Jesus uh, horizontally before, or, or sorry, vertically. I start talking to Jesus yeah. vertically before I start the horizontal discussion <laughs> so that I have some, um, I'm already locked into Jesus yeah. and I already have some idea maybe about where he wants to go. And then after that, I think it's become a process where I trust his voice in me. You know, I'm not second guessing every little thing that pops into my head. Uh, and if something pops into my head, I may say, you know, I don't know if this is going to sound crazy to you or if this sits right with you, but I'm just going to throw it out there. Yeah. And so just having, you know, a now what 30, 40 year walk with the Lord and practicing hearing his voice over time has made it much easier now than it mm. was when I was much younger. Yeah. And honestly, I'd say the big innovation I've had in that in the past couple of years is I've gotten better at saying, why don't we both just pause for a few minutes hmm. and let's just let Jesus to talk to both of us. And that feels a little weird sometimes yeah. because now you're just going to sit there in silence with each other. Um, <laughs> but uh, I found that people often appreciate it and especially people who are often feeling rushed in conversations, mm. right? Yeah. We're often like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. Like, let's just take it more slowly. Let's mm. just pause. Um, and so, yeah, I've gotten a little bit better at that over the past couple of years. Mm. I think it's really important to be a community and be a people that was able to do something like that. And as you said before, God gave you a community that was uh, not afraid to risk, to do something risky. Um, you know, what's what communities that you have found as you're walking with with people um, are are primed to be able to to make a, an impact in to the least reached peoples of the earth? What are some of the characteristics of a community that is willing to risk for Jesus? A community that's willing to risk for Jesus is first and foremost madly in love with Jesus. They're just mm-hmm. beholding. Jesus, and he is the the most precious thing that they could imagine, and they want their inheritance to be that they were known as people who love Jesus. So um, that, that doesn't mean every day is just to like walking on cloud nine right. experience with <laughs> Jesus, right? Uh, yeah. We all have those moments where we're like, Jesus, you were really awesome yesterday, but today I'm not so sure, right? Uh, <laughs> but, but we can go back to what we knew about him yesterday. And um, actually, one of the things I have on my office wall where I'm sitting right now is a quote from one of my favorite missionaries, Lilius Trotter. And she said, believe in the darkness what you have seen in the light. Mm. And so they have a remembrance of what they've seen in the light. And because they've seen it in the light, they're willing to voluntarily walk into darkness. Yeah. Because they can take that memory of the light with them. And Mm. even if they go through a really horrible day, or even if the Lord ultimately demands their physical life inside of them, they carry that light and Mm. that light uh, burns strongly no matter where they are. Um, One of the things that the Lord spoke to me about really early on in life was that if he isn't beautiful Mm. in the middle of the worst slum 
that I could ever be in. If he's yeah. not beautiful in the middle of the ugliest place I could ever be in, then he's just not beautiful enough. Mm. And yeah. so I would say um, beauty of Christ and remembrance of the beauty when it's mm. not right in front of us yeah. is what sustains us into risk. Yeah, oh, that's so good. Yeah. I mean, you were in a place, you know, my wife and I were in, in the Middle East in a place where it wasn't beautiful to me, but spiritually it was really beautiful. What Jesus was doing was really beautiful. And that beauty actually propelled us to be able to to live and work in a place where I didn't find it aesthetically pleasing. Um, I didn't want to say, hey, let's go out and look at these beautiful trees because there weren't any. Um, <laughs> so I but the beauty of what Jesus was doing and the and the people that he was encountering was so immense that it gave great joy. But there was also a lot of times and I think there's a lot of people when they think of 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 missions, especially to least reach peoples. And they, they think a lot of it is very adventuring. Um, it's like a big adventure. Um, and it, some people get really excited about it. And some people say, oh, it's, isn't it amazing what you're doing? But the reality of being in a place like that is that there is a lot of uh, really difficult days and there's a lot of lonely days. There's a lot of days where mm -hmm. you miss what was in the past um, and you don't know if you can continue. In those instances where you felt really, really lonely um, and it was really difficult, what were the things that sustained you? And so, <clears throat> sorry, the things that sustain me through the difficult times are not Bible reading, but the Bible reading that I've already stored into my heart. Mm. It's the Bible reading that uh, comes to my brain and my heart because I already stored it there. Yeah. When the times were pretty good and I was just doing regular Bible reading and I stored those things up. But I think the thing that sustains me most, honestly, is worship. Um, mm. I feel so grateful that I live in the time period that I do because I have access to so much worship music yeah. on an electronic device all the time. And this is actually historically anomalous, right? There were people yep. that they didn't have recorded music until relatively recently, <laughs> yeah. but we have access to recorded music. So I don't need to be in a church building or have a worship band or a worship leader with me as long as I have the recordings of their music. And so I think what happens with the worship is that it not only engages my head, but it engages my emotions. <clears throat> and so I need to not only have my head in the right place, and I do a lot of declarations. You know, this is what scripture says. This is what truth says about Jesus. This is what truth says about God. This is what truth says about me. Um, but I need to move beyond the actual factual truth to get my emotions to catch up yep. to the facts. And so I think the worship really helps my emotions to catch up hmm. to what my head already knows to be true. Yeah. And so... I spend a lot of time um, on a normal day. I probably spend like an hour and a half in worship and prayer. And it's because I combine it with walking. And yeah. of course, I don't hit it every day. Um, and when I don't, I try not to feel just, you know, too guilty about it. Uh, <laughs> but I I actually almost always do it because I, I know that I need it now. Yeah. It's not actually something that's optional for me. 
And I know if I don't do it today, and if I don't do it tomorrow, by day three, it's not going to be good for me or anybody around me. <laughs> um, and so I've become more aware and even declare my dependency on that. And mm. I think it's actually a healthy dependency on the Lord. Mm. Have you gotten to a point where, you know, I think that's a that's a process that a lot of people go through in their life is that I think early on, um, people are declare their own independence. I'm I'm really particularly thinking about people from the West, right? We're very independent oriented people. We like to to take care of things on our own. We don't like to be dependent on others. Um, what's a process to become dependent on Jesus? Um, and something where we're we're walking towards a place where we're dependent on Him and not trying to do everything for ourselves? Yeah, that's a great question. And I'm, I'm laughing because <laughs> the obvious example, the obvious answer to that is to do something with him and for him that's too hard for us to do on our own. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of times as you and I have trained missionaries together and I tell them as we're getting ready to send you out, I, I want you to be a little bit scared. Yeah. As we send you out, I don't want you to be like, no, I got this because that is not the right place to be. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, it's also not the right place to be to say, I'm scared. I cannot do this or I won't do this. Yeah. Um, but to say, I sense uh, the invitation of the Lord to do something that I know is way too hard for me. Um, but I'm going to say yes to him and I'm going to do this. You, it becomes obvious to you day after day, your dependence. And that could be in the missionary enterprise of yep. learning language, learning culture, selling your house, moving to a new place, doing homeschooling. Uh, but it could be in the context of being an engineer, a doctor, a lawyer, mm. and deciding to live differently. And maybe that makes your career not as sparkling as the person right. next to you. Or maybe it means that you choose to not do something that your conscience just won't let you do mm. in the midst of that career. Or maybe you risk that career because you open your mouth and you say something uh, for Jesus that you're not sure if it will be welcome on that day. Mm. And so I think... Yeah, the biggest way to know that we're dependent is to constantly be doing something that we know is too hard for us individually. Mm. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, inspiring to be able to figure out what are these things that are a little bit too hard, a little too difficult. And maybe if we're a little comfortable in what we are in and what we're doing, maybe we have to, to ask Jesus, well, what are you inviting me into? Is there something else? Is there something more that you're inviting me into? Um, than what I am doing at the moment. Um, and, you know, as you said, to have that community around you, to be able to help propel you into risk, um, and then asking Jesus to say, okay, where do you want me to step into? And being a little bit scared to go out and do it uh, is, a, is a great thing. Um, you know, and you, you're traveling a lot around the U.S. Um, you're doing a lot of training, uh, teaching, but you're interacting. So that means you're interacting with a lot of people um, in the Christian community in the U.S. Um, as you've been been traveling, doing these things, especially in the last couple of years, where do you see the the pain points um, for the Christian world in in the states? Um, where are we needing a little bit of a jolt and a push uh, from Jesus to move forward? 
the reason I'm pausing before I answer that question is because I can think of so many potential answers <laughs> to it. Um, and so even if we just ignore the particular things that are, you know, disagreements over COVID and responses to COVID and things like that, and return us back to the things that we do agree on, that Jesus is worthy, mm -hmm. that Jesus is Lord. Um, I've found and I still find that there is almost a loss of hope mm. among North American Christians that I think has been exacerbated by COVID. Mm. Um, and they think, oh, forget it, especially if they're on either the West Coast or the East Coast of the United States. I hear this in New England. Uh, I hear this in the Northwest quite a bit. You know, forget it. Nobody's here is interested in following Jesus. And I'm like, now, wait a minute. Mm. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It's the workers that are few. Yeah. And so let's just stop and think about that. So if if that's true, and it was true in Jesus's day, and it's true in our day, then what's the number one thing that Satan is going to try to do is he's going to try to remove even more workers. Yeah. Because actually finding that harvest is not an easy thing. And I get that, right? Like you knock on 10 doors, for example, I'm not saying literally, but you interact with 10 people about Jesus and maybe none of them are interested. And so we're like, oh, forget it. Nobody's interested. Yeah. But we don't go on to the 11th person and the 11th person might have been the one. Yeah. And so I think we've gotten tired of holding out for breakthrough. And, mm. uh, you know, we're right now in uh, a Christmas season and that's what Christmas is all about. Yeah. It's holding out for breakthrough. 400 years had gone by. Anna and Simeon had been in the temple. Uh, Elizabeth hadn't had a baby. Um, mm -hmm. They're all holding out for breakthrough. And suddenly, I mean, literally suddenly, it comes upon them one day. And I think sharing the gospel is a lot like that, that we mm -hmm. keep doing the mundane, the main and plain of going back to the Lord again and trying again. And then suddenly, when we're not expecting it, that breakthrough comes through. Mm -hmm. And so I think... Um, we need to be reminded that there is a harvest, that there is hope. Um, but I find people are having a difficult time hanging on to hope mm, for America. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's, uh, I mean, in this Advent season, I think that's exactly what what we need to, to do is that there is hope coming, right? There is that breakthrough coming. Um, there is plenty of hope. And, you know, the great thing is, you know, I've had people come talk to me that in a post-Christendom world like uh, like Portland, uh, I've had people say, man, it's so easy to have Jesus conversations there. And it's easier than uh, in the rest of the U.S. Uh, because people are curious and open spiritually. Uh, they may not want religious conversations, but, you know, Jesus conversations are pretty easy to be had. Um, and so the harvest is plentiful. We just often don't know where to look. Um, and we keep saying, okay, there's no hope. So, yeah, that's a, that's a great word to have hope that there's a breakthrough that could come. Um, and I think we need, we need that hope. Um, you know, one of the things you said at the very beginning of this is of your journey is that you said it was an injustice that people around the world have not heard of Jesus. They don't have access to the gospel. Um, what are the injustices uh, that Jesus has been talking to you about uh, that really get your heart pumping and moving that get you like, say, 
try to mobilize people towards this because it's something that that is getting you agitated a little bit. <laughs> um, well, that that one that people don't have access to Jesus is probably always the biggest one that will yeah. motivate me. But, you know, you and I interact a lot with very poor believers around the world. Um, they are rich in the Lord and they're rich in the Holy Spirit, rich in the power of the Holy Spirit. But because they just don't have money, they lack some things mm. that could really help them to thrive in their spirituality. Mm. And so I've actually begun to really get a burden for uh, Africans who are going out as missionaries mm -hmm. and the kind of care that's needed when you send somebody out into a frontline dangerous situation. And I'm actually getting a real burden just for what in the missions industry we call member care or pastoral care in general. Mm. Um, not only do I want us to send out missionaries, um, yeah. but I want us to send out missionaries that are properly equipped and trained. And all too often we're sending out missionaries that really don't have enough resource uh, and they they're making it happen. They're surviving, but yeah. at great emotional and mental cost to themselves. Mm. And, you know, yes, Jesus is worth our very life. But if that emotional and mental cost is preventable, and it often is, yeah. um, then why wouldn't we prevent that? And not only is that true for our Western missionaries, um, you know, who come from America, but how much more has it been true for our African missionaries? Yeah. And how are we ever going to provide resource like that for them. And so I've become really burdened with trying to care for their hearts, mm. to care for their souls, to make sure they just have uh, safety in the midst of what they're doing. I mean, just to give you an example, yeah. I mean, yes, we're asking them to go into war zones sometimes. We're asking yeah. them to go to places where rebel armies come in, but we could make that more palatable if they had a sat phone with them that mm. when yeah. they do need to evacuate, at least they can give a call and say, Hey, I had to leave. Um, yeah. But we don't have the resource for that. And then when they do come out, who's going to let them cry and who's going to let them share about how mm -hmm. scared they were um, and then encourage them to go back and take that risk or an even more difficult risk again. Yeah. So it's part of the process, right, of risk mm -hmm. to have that community, that supernatural yeah. Jesus-centered community to go with us. And I have a burden to create a, a stronger, better version of that community for all believers, but particularly mm -hmm. for missionaries. Wow. Uh, so in what ways can we start to to create that? Are there any steps that that you think is the next step to be able to create those things? You may you may not have it all figured out, which is fine. <laughs> uh, but what is the next step to to get to that place? I think part of the next step to get to that place is to let people know that are believers that think, oh, I don't really want to go. In fact, I don't think Jesus is asking me to go. Uh, but to let them know, we need some good listeners. Mm, we need yeah. some people who maybe are not even fully trained biblical counselors, although we need those. Yeah. But maybe you're just willing to be a good listener. And maybe you'd be willing to get trained in how to do a debriefing um, so that you could be willing to be the person that somebody in your church talks to, somebody from the mission field talks to, it's not only the gift of being apostolic or being a missionary that's needed. So sometimes yeah. I think we just need to put the call out there and say, one, you're needed. Yeah. And secondly, would you be willing to put skin in the game? Would you be willing to invest your voluntary time and your voluntary money to go train your gifting 
and make it as good as it can possibly be and to learn from the professionals and not to become a professional yourself. But there's a a process that when the Lord gives us a gift, he gives it to us, but then we have to take and train that gift. Mm. Um, And to say, you know what, you may not get your regular vacation this year because instead you took a week of your vacation time and you learned to be a debriefer. (laughs) Um, Would you be willing to give that to the Lord and to train that gift? So I think we need to let people know that their gift is needed. Mm. I think I think you're right. And I think that when people hear that, that they're needed, uh, they have the gifts. um, I think people are willing to step up. Um, It's just trying to get that word out. I think it's really important. uh, And that's good. You know, one of the things that I wanted to to interact with you a little bit is that, you know, you when when you train, um, you train a lot of times you train out of a, a out of a prophetic voice of right there is an injustice in the world there's something that needs to be done um and this is a means to an end right this training is a means to to see people come to know jesus uh, where jesus is not yet known what does it look like uh, to use your own giftings um within training um and mobilizing yeah, so I think one of the reasons why people like me actually as a trainer, although of course not everybody likes me, but often people <laughs> do, is because uh, I'm a little bit different than other people mm-hmm. who come in to do teaching and training. And often people think of me in terms of um, a highly educated person, which I am, in terms of a person who's done a lot of reading. But I don't think that that is ultimately why people enjoy Uh, the kind of training and teaching that I do. So firstly, uh, I'm highly inspired by King Uzziah in the Bible. And Mm -hmm. King Uzziah uh, actually had to do two things to stay right with the Lord. The first was that he had to actually hear from the Lord and obey the Lord. He had to pray and keep his heart close to the Lord. But the second thing that he had to do was that he had to consult the experts Mm -hmm. and It was only to the extent that he did both of those things that he was actually successful as a king. And so firstly, I do take the time and effort to become an expert. I have read the books. I've talked to people. I've done the studies. um, So that is part of what it takes. But Mm. once I get past that point where I've become the expert and I've prepared the PowerPoint and I've read the articles, um, then it becomes a process of prayer and discernment. And what's interesting to me is a lot of times I'm teaching the same lesson, right? Night after night after night, uh, because that's the way it works in some of the things that I do. And so the PowerPoint never changes, but I've had people who've traveled with me and said the first night was very different from the second night, Mm. which was very different from the third (laughs) night. And what I do is I deliberately put in spaces in my mental preparation and brain where I say Jesus is going to insert something in that space right there. And mm. I think it's going to be a different story. It's going to be a different word. Um, and so I begin to p- pray. And especially if I'm going to teach a class, I'd like to show up early. Um, I usually try to show up at least an hour early. I recently had to give um, a speech that was going to be a particularly difficult one for me. It was particularly short, actually, mm. but I knew it was going to be yeah. particularly difficult. And I showed up at the venue literally three hours in advance Mm. um, to go pray over the seats, to ask the Lord again if I was going to say the things that he wanted me to say. And so especially that last hour before I'm getting ready to teach that lesson, 
I'm asking the Lord to give me favor with those who will show up there. I'm asking the Lord to give me supernatural insight into their hearts, that he would give me even words of knowledge. Um, but that if he gave me a difficult word to deliver, that I would please do it with tears in my eyes, hmm. that I would never deliver a hard word without also feeling the grief mm. that that word was even needed. Yeah. And I've sometimes regretted that prayer because I ended up crying a little <laughs> bit too much. Um, but I often know when I feel tears about mm. to come um, that now that's probably something I do need to say, yeah. but I'm going to try to say it in the softest way that I can. Mm. Um and so, yeah, it's just a prayer and discernment process uh, and practice over time. You know, mm. the first times I ever asked the Lord to give me words uh, for people, I then went into a doctor's office and I felt like the Lord said something to me to give to that person. And I was like, <laughs> oh, no, no, not doing it. And I got so scared. I just left and I didn't wow. give the word at all. Mm. And I felt really horrible about it. Right. I felt terrible. Um <laughs> And then I said, Lord, you know, would you please give me another chance? And um, I wouldn't have expected this to happen, but that doctor's office actually called me and said they needed me to come back. <laughs> and so I went back in and I saw this doctor that I had gotten the word for. And I said, look, I don't even know if you're a believer or anything. And I feel really weird, but I just feel like Jesus wanted to say this to you. And then they just started crying. Um, wow. And they had, it was exactly what they needed to hear. And so just to have experiences like that where you try and fail yep. and then you try again, um, you build confidence over time. Mm. Um, so the, the key to all that, if I could boil it down, is have a plan, yep. but be willing to change the plan in the middle of it hmm. or be willing to modify the plan in the middle of it. Yeah. And that's what it means to me to be led as a prophetic instructor of material. Mm. That's so good that uh, I think uh, oftentimes when people hear about the prophetic, they think it's uh, it's very off the cuff. Um, sometimes they think of, of other things, but really to be able to have that that structured plan in place. And the, the great thing there is you're giving space and room uh, for Jesus to insert something. And I think we often forget to give space for Jesus in anything that we do, uh, teaching, training, conversations with others, you know, spaces here in, in our conversation today. Like, what does it look like to give Jesus space uh, in these things? Um, and how do we go about doing that? This is, it's one of the most important things uh, that we can actually get to is to figure out how Jesus is a part of what we do. And it's not about Jesus but it's with Jesus. And it's so good. The, the with Jesus component is the really beautiful one that yeah. sustains us through a lifetime. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. That's good. Um, yeah, Pam. So I want to do something, which is a little weird. I haven't done this, but since you've talked about it a couple times, I want to give uh, a space uh, to listen to Jesus. And I might cut this short in editing, but we'll give some quiet time and say, ask Jesus if there's anything um, that he wants to say in this time. 
All right, let's do it. You may also put on a little music or something in the yeah. final editing. <laughs> All right, Jesus. Uh, yeah, speak uh, to us here. Um, and we're just going to be quiet for a moment uh, and let you speak and see if there's anything that you want to say in us and through us and to us today. Shall I share what I think I heard? Yeah. <clears throat> I think that the Lord wants to highlight in our generation and in our time, authentic community. Hmm. And I think it's one of the reasons why we in all nations are committed to church planting movements. We often emphasize the fact that church planting movements have rapid multiplication of the gospel that yeah. outpace population growth. And that's true. But church planting movements have something else built into them, and they basically, by definition, break down spectator Christianity hmm. and create authentic community. Um, it's not always even healthy community. I mean, we want them to be healthy, <laughs> but it's certainly authentic, right? So we're moving towards healthy. Yeah. Um, but because uh, nobody is sitting in the theater seat while somebody else is doing the talking, um, where the gifts are all coming forward and... Mm. Leaders are only a little bit above or maybe only even know the Lord a little bit better than those who are following them. Um, all believers are exercising their gifts and believers in church planting movements uh, typically are not only together for like an hour and a half a week or an hour mm. a week. And we often gloss over this part of church yep. planting movements. But they're in each other's lives a lot. Um, yep. They're often in the same neighborhood and in the same community. Yep. And they know each other's kids and they're having dinner together. But it gives them the impetus to also go out. It doesn't just become inwardly focused. And church planting movements also have, by definition, if they're going to work, if they're going to be <laughs> successful, yep. um, the leaders within them have to understand that they are stewards of the gifts that the Lord has put in other people. And the leader can't simply carry out all those gifts. And, yeah. um, and you know, with all due respect, uh, you and I have had some conversations about the term servant leadership. And absolutely all leaders are servants. Yep. If leaders are not servants, then we're not leaders. Yep. But I think that there's a call for stewarding leadership to exercise, to exercise that care for the people of God to say, you have a gift in you, let me help mm. develop that gift. And I think pastors have always wanted to do that. Yeah. Uh, but I think the Lord is highlighting that even more in this time period. And you and I know mm. that poor leadership is being outed by the Lord right now, right? Yep, um, leaders uh -huh. um, that have been <laughs> uh, the so. big man or the big woman yep. and everybody just does what they want. And the yep. only rubric of success is we bought in a lot of money or we filled a lot of seats. Yep. That I think is being That's... highlighted by the Lord as not right and yep. not healthy. And so I think the Lord wants us to highlight authentic community. And I think that part of that will lead um, to this rapid expansion of the gospel on the earth. Mm. And I think it will speak to the younger generations. I think it'll speak to the millennials and those yep. younger even than them, because that's what they're really longing for. Yep. Yeah. The longing for authentic community. And I think that's a that's a really good word. And that's where, you know, we want to get to. And I think that I mean, because I really do think that there's a mental health crisis out there. And part of it is because we're not connected well um, one to another. 
um, and we've been hurt by others um, in extraordinary ways. Um, and, you know, the word that I got in the midst of, you know, listening was that uh, the the Western church itself feels shattered. Um, but, you know, as mm-hmm. they come up together in authentic community, they're going to be able to hear uh, from and be with Jesus in the midst of that. And so there was there was a word for the same as authentic community. But it was that the the shattering that they feel, the f- the feeling of I'm in a thousand little pieces. I don't know how I'm going to make it. It's mm-hmm. going to we're going to make it through um, community that that loves and cares and knows us, that sees us and that calls us to a place to be with Jesus uh, in our every day, that our faith is integrated uh, into everything that we do, um, and our life with Jesus is integrated into everything that we do, and it's not a dichotomy of, hey, I'm just going to play church for a little while and then go out and live my my life, but I'm actually going to be uh, authentically with others um, as we start to follow Jesus together. So That's so good, and if I could just follow up with one thought on that. Um, that's just so spot on. Uh, several years ago, I did a book review on a book about multicultural ministry. Mm. And I think that this is something that you and I and many people who would listen to this podcast would care deeply about, that we wouldn't all have the same skin tone or the same language as we yeah. worship Jesus together. And the one church in that book that was being successful at having a really multicultural, intercultural ministry shared one need in common and they highlighted that need every week and it was Mm. shared brokenness. Mm. It's shared brokenness and a shared need for the one and only solution, which is in Jesus Christ. Yeah. And that superseded all of their skin colors, all of their Mm. languages, all of their ethnic backgrounds, all of their cultural differences. And so, yeah, I think that that's just a spot on word, Joshua. Yeah. That's great. All right. A couple questions at the end, Pam. Uh, one, if you could go back to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? I think, you know, the advice to always give a 21-year-old is to stay really close to Jesus. But I think I might interpret that a little bit and remind myself to pause and pray more often. <laughs> um, you know, rather than trying to barrel down the street at 100 miles an hour and talk to Jesus at the same time. Yeah. Uh, maybe it'd be good to just do a few mm. more timeouts um, and to just pause and pray before answering that phone call, to pause and pray before answering that email, to pause and pray before speaking. Um, so I think, yeah, just a bit more pause and pray. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, anything you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? The things that I've been reading recently have really been uh missionary biographies because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm in this little book club where we read missionary biographies together. And that has just been rich, uh, each and every one of them. Uh, the other thing I've been reading is um, Eugene Peterson's book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Mm. And it's a book that I had been intending to read since I was 21. And, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I thought, you know, I should finally get around to reading that book. Mm. And I just love how Eugene Peterson 
speaks to my soul. And I think he's hmm. an amazing Bible translator. And I get why, you know, you don't want the message to be the only Bible <laughs> right. translation that you use. I mean, I am a trained Bible <laughs> translator, so I get that. Uh, but he was an exceptionally gifted um, Bible translator. And he just says over and over again, um, you know, basically, we need Jesus. Uh, your soul needs Jesus. Your emotions need Jesus. Hmm. And so I have just really enjoyed reading that book finally after about 20 years um mm. so yeah it's been a good book that's good uh i like that um yeah so how can people uh connect with you you have your book club how can people join your book club to read missionary biographies with pam arland i mean what better way to spend your time <laughs> yeah so our little book club meets uh once a month online and i pick books that I tell people that I have never read myself. Uh, yeah. So I don't know if they're any good <laughs> when I pick them. And so some months are better than others, but if people would like to join, there is a very nominal fee, but they go to allnations.international. Um, so allnations.international and on one of those pull down menus at the top, you can find book club. And so uh, I pick books every six months and they can look there and see what the next six months are about. Nice. And if people are inspired and they say, I want to go to a, a people in a place where the gospel is not right now, that Jesus is not yet known, and I want to help bring uh, Jesus to this people group, and they want to connect in, how can they do that? Yeah, so if people want to connect in, I'd be happy to connect with them personally. And I'm happy because my email is already on the internet uh, <laughs> to tell them my email address. It's just my first initial and last name. So P-A-R-L-U-N-D at allnations.international. Um, but yeah, I'd be happy to connect with them through an email. I think they could also email either one of us through info at allnations.us. Is that right? Yep. That'd also be a good way to reach either one of us. And it might be easier to remember, right? Info at allnations.us to reach either one of us. And we'd be happy. Um, a lot of times when I talk to our, our technical mobilization department here in All Nations, um, and I say, what have you been doing? And they're like, yeah, I've been recruiting a bunch of people for other missions agencies. And I say, <laughs> good job. Good job. Because... Um, we would love all nations to grow, but if we're not the best place for people to serve, we want to get you to the best place for you to serve. Yep. And so I'd never want people to feel like we're just going to try to rope them into all nations if they reach out to us. And we have lots and lots and lots of coffee and Zoom conversations and face-to-face -face when we can. I do travel a lot and love yep. to meet people face-to-face. -face. That'd be great. Well, Pam, thank you so much. It was just uh, great to talk to you and it was great to make space for Jesus in the middle of this conversation. So thanks for, for joining us today. All right. Thanks, Joshua. It's been great. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show. And just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.